we uh, thank you so much for allowing us to focus in on your son. That's not hard when we, when we learn from your word together because it's all about you and your plan for this, for this earth. It's all about you and your glory in creating us and redeeming us, rebuilding us, and proclaiming your great name, your glory, your character. Lord, I pray that as we look here at the last passage in the Gospel of John, that you will minister to us once again through this. Pray, Lord, that you would be true to yourself. Allow our hearts and our minds to be to be offered up to you to do with what you will through your Holy Spirit indwelling us. Lord, if anyone here does not have that Holy Spirit indwelling them without having received Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray that they might be able to make that true today, yielding their lives, accepting your forgiveness for our many, many sins, and beginning that relationship with you that we could know you as our Father, know Christ as our Savior. Lord, I pray that you would bless this time that we have, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in chapter 20. I was visiting with a pastor friend of mine in, in uh, Crawfordsville, and... and uh, uh, knowing that, that they had also been going through the Gospel of John. I was bemoaning the fact that I've taken 18 months to do this. And uh, he responded with saying, well, it's taken us about three years. Now they took more breaks and things away from it than we did. Uh, but that made me realize I have another 18 months that we could go back and hit on a lot of the things that we just maybe had to brush over a little bit. Are you guys good with that? <laughs> Thank you. In chapter 20 in John's gospel involved Jesus' strategic post-resurrection appearances to his disciples. He had prayed for his disciples that they would be able to stand firm, that they would be able to ride through those days when his body would be in the grave. He specifically prayed for Peter, knowing that the devil had asked that he might be able to sift Peter like wheat. But Jesus had prayed for him that he would stand strong, even through his denying Christ as, as Jesus had um, predicted and he told Peter that he's prayed for him that when he would turn that when he would repent that he would turn and strengthen his brothers we can imagine that this is what Peter does during those days that we're not told anything about between his death and his resurrection so chapter 21 seems to be answering the question what now what now? And Jesus' answer twice in chapter 21 is, follow me. Follow me. So let's pick up chapter 21 again, starting in verse 15. 
through uh, verse 25. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. This is why I read it off the screen. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said to him, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And that's how the, uh, the Gospel of John closes you know last week was was for me was productive and exhausting uh some of you that have seen uh pictures on facebook of me doing these these uh nighttime kitchen remodelings um along with ministry plans and appointments and message preparation which i love i also got to do kitchen remodeling which i love some of you are like you're nuts one of my uh, other friends said his wife looked on Facebook to see the pictures and she looked at her husband. She said, I'm so glad you're not the type of person to tear apart parts of our house and try to put them back together. He's like, thank you, honey, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> Much of uh, uh, my time in that kitchen working on it was spent with, with some, of, some of the men from Harvest, whom I love. And... and uh, the, this was a window of time in the absence of three of our kids off spending time with family, those kids whom I love. But the reality is that it ju I just didn't get as much done as I had planned for. 
And I found myself with the kids on their way back home, I found myself praying and just kind of complaining to God and, and just saying, you know, Lord, I love my family. I, I love to provide for them a place to gather and to be and to enjoy. And, and, and my heart was to, to get this done. And now uh, we're all going to be back together and we don't have a functioning sink or stove. And this is hard for me because my plan was to, to love my family by providing this, but instead they're coming home to a mess. It's not easy to reset expectations when we thought it would, was going to be a cakewalk, cakewalk and, it, and it ends up a mess. It reminds me of um, one of my neighbors that I was helping out um, and it, it was when we were living in a trailer park, which was the married student housing at CIU, uh, the seminary I attended. And uh, my friend Jeremy was under his uh, trailer, and <clears throat> he had bought a, a new refrigerator. And he was so excited because this one had uh, the ice maker in it. And so we were under his trailer trying to connect the ice maker line to the water pipe. And he kind of guessed around about where the refrigerator was. And I hear him say, okay, I think this is the pipe. It's black. I'm going to drill into it. And next thing I hear is, oh, 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 it's gas. (laughs) He drilled into the natural gas line. You know, that's one of those things that you think is going to be real easy that turns into a big mess, and thankfully it didn't end up two closed caskets. Um, But he really heard it from the gas company. (laughs) Peter is working with reset expectations in this conversation with Jesus. Less than a week prior to this, you could say that he basically thought that he was next in line to replace Jesus. And since then, his denial of Jesus likely caused him to feel like he'd been put on the shelf. He was a second-class follower. And we looked last week about how Jesus used Peter's failure to remake him and remake him out of better stuff. Jesus lovingly, publicly reaffirmed Peter in the first part or in this, what we're looking at and what we've already looked at in John 21. And he helped Peter to see that his relationship with God was not about having a better love than his brothers had. It wasn't about loving Jesus more than these do. It's about receiving and, and living life out of the power of God's grace for him. So we're looking this morning at the fact that as with Peter's painful process, God can take our expectations and remake them according to his perfect plan for how we will follow him. First, let's just see here that even after his public denial of the Lord, Peter is given the opportunity to publicly proclaim his love for Jesus. And we see in their questions and answers back and forth between Jesus and Peter, the fact that following Christ 
is to be out of a personal love for him. We read, when, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And we landed last week on the likelihood that Jesus is saying, do you, love, do you really love me more than these other guys love me? Kind of to draw out that Peter thought he did, at least prior to his denial of Christ. And, and Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Notice he doesn't say more than these. He said to him, feed my lambs. Notice the combination as we move through here. He combines feeding or shepherding with lambs or sheep. I'm not sure why he does that, but in the three different ways, he uses all three combinations. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? We looked at last week, Peter's grieved specifically here that it's a third question. And the undeniable connection here is the connection to his third, his three denials of Christ. It's kind of like Peter saying, I know what you're getting at. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter's future calling was on a very important one for the young church of Jesus Christ. A quick reading over the book of Acts can see that clearly, that Peter would be important to the young early church. And Jesus clarifies for Peter and for us the most important element of success in what Peter is called to do. In all of his plans for Peter, rather than being the one that's better than the others, which is really loving himself, which is really saying, I'm in for this as long as I can feel like I'm better than everybody else. Instead, Jesus calls Peter to live off of a foundation of love for him. In fact, love is so important that the Apostle Paul tells us that all is done, that is done for God is useless without it. And in speaking in hyperbolic terms, he writes in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Can you imagine imagine Jesus saying the same thing to Peter here in the sense of, do you love me? That's the starting point, Peter. Peter. 
we looked at the fact that Jesus was reaffirming Peter publicly based on their past experiences. Today we're looking at the fact that he's reaffirming him for his future calling. And the foundation of that is love. With all that we say about the importance of Peter's love and future calling, it's important to remember too that the the real power of Peter's ministry came when the Holy Spirit was given to the church and given to Peter. We find love in Galatians 2 being a fruit of the Spirit. The result of the Holy Spirit's ministry growing within us. So as we talk about love for God and love for others as an outflow of that, it's a, it's a byproduct of the Holy Spirit's ministry growing within us and our submissiveness to that. So we see here that Peter is called first of all as a foundation to love God. That's what Jesus kind of draws out from him. Peter's already been taught by Christ in the upper room how important it is to be loving him first and foremost. Remember in John 14, verse 15, where Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he also says, a new command I give you, love one another. I think it's very possible that Peter is hearing Jesus in a new way, having been stripped of his pride and what he thought was his prestige. Jesus has reass- he's reassuring Peter of God's love for him. And now Jesus seems to be rebuilding him by starting with the importance of our love for God. And on Peter's affirmation of his love for Jesus, Jesus reaffirms Peter's assignment. And what is that but to love other sheep who are also prone to wander? Kostenberger writes that one who loves Jesus supremely will love those entrusted into his charge more, not less. And the one clear observation, well, I have actually four observations here about Jesus' statements about about, um, feeding his lambs, tending or shepherding his lambs, and feed, I'm sorry, tending or shepherding his sheep and feeding his sheep. Uh, Just four observations here is that one, Jesus speaks from the specific idea of feeding to the general idea of tending or shepherding his flock. So it's the broad spectrum of ministry to Jesus' sheep. Secondly, Jesus assigns Peter both young and the more mature between lambs and sheep. Third, both need the same from him, both feeding and tending or shepherding. And fourth of all, most of all, it's Jesus' flock. It's Jesus' flock. Not to be considered Peter's. Not to be considered anyone else's. I think that we can infer from Jesus' statements that all of his sheep, all of his lambs need shepherding, need discipleship. 
And for as much as I want to make feeding about teaching, this term for feeding is never used in the New Testament for teaching. So I can't make it that. But anyways, Peter's calling is ultimately to shepherd Jesus' flock as he follows Jesus, his good shepherd. And these commands resonate with Peter, even as he writes to his fellow elders in his letter of 1 Peter. And he refers to Jesus as their chief shepherd that will return to receive an account of the care of God's flock. And we see that in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, that this is Peter writing. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And don't you love this? And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Peter, we see in his relationship with the elders of the bodies of Christ abroad that he is shepherding that he just sees himself as a fellow elder, a fellow shepherd with them, and that all of them are simply under-shepherds to the chief good shepherd who will appear one day and want an account for how his flock has been tended. You know, uh, one of the men helping me in my kitchen this past week, he asked me if he could just, it was something that could make I won't go into the minutia of it, but something that would make it easier. And I didn't know if it was kind of cutting a corner or not. So I was like, uh, I don't know. And later I said to him, I said, you know, I'm sorry if I'm seeming kind of like, you know, being trying to be overly careful, but I joked saying, I'm the one that has to go through final inspection on this place, which you know who does final inspection. But... um <laughs> Peter kept in mind that the chief shepherd would return to do a final inspection of his flock. And as Peter informed his fellow elders, we as leadership here in this body must keep this in mind, and we do keep this in mind. This is part of the reason why we've moved to a more intentional and informative simple term for the elder team of being the shepherd team. It's because we want to be intentional in that way. And the shepherding that is done by those in leadership here should be a picture of the shepherding and discipleship that we're all called to do in our sphere of influence. And we should be pointing each other to the shepherd, the chief shepherd that we're following together. This applies to parenting, to friendships, to neighbors, to relationships in your small groups. We should be 
all pointing each other to Jesus. That's discipleship. It's, can I help you follow him better? Or can you help me follow him better? Once again, all of what we do in helping others to follow Christ is to be motivated by love for God and leading others, uh, I'm sorry, leading to a love for others, helping them to love Him. In a poem by Hazel Hartwell Simon called Love Makes Obedience, you read this, Love makes obedience a thing of joy. To do the will of one we like to please is never hardship, though it tax our strength. Each privilege of service love will seize. Love makes us loyal, glad to do or go, and eager to defend a name or cause. Love takes the drudgery from common work and asks no rich reward or great applause. Love gives us satisfaction in our task and wealth in learning lessons of the heart. Love sheds a light of glory on our toil and makes us humbly glad to have a part. Love makes us choose to do the will of God, to run his errands and proclaim his truth. Love gives our hearts an eager, lilting song. Our feet are shod with tireless wings of youth. We are intended to do our ministry to others and follow Christ out of a love for him. Well, the commentator Ritterboss says, Jesus sought no much, not so much Peter's triple retraction of his denial and even less to embarrass him again before the other disciples. It is rather what waits Peter in the future that prompts Jesus to reinforce his ties with him as never before. In other words, Peter, you're going to need your love for me. And we see that in following Christ in personal sacrifice. We read in verses 18 and 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And John adds this comment, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. As I mentioned, sometime around 64 or 65, uh, Peter was martyred under the, the persecution led by Emperor Nero. Tradition held that Peter himself was killed by crucifixion. And this would be what Jesus is referring to here by describing hands being stretched out and him being carried where he does not want to go. And John would have been led here by the Holy Spirit to encourage the churches some uh, 20 years later that Peter followed Christ just as Jesus had foretold him that he would. And we read, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. 
What a different level of gravity behind this statement to follow Christ having been told where it would lead him. I just brought up last week or the week before the difference between jihadist martyrdom and, and a martyrdom that comes from following Christ. One is saying is by a person who's been told, if you do not do this, you will not get the benefit. Whereas the type of martyrdom that Peter was called to was one that says, threaten what you will. I cannot shrink back from loving my Lord and proclaiming him, even if it means my death, because I've already received the benefit. And I'm overjoyed by that, no matter the threat. And this is what Peter is being told will take place in his life. Rend Collective's song, The Cost, shares the fact that counting the cost of following Christ means concluding that it is still worth it, even if we are able to know if that the cost of of persecution is still worth it if we are able to know Jesus better, as Paul calls it, fellowshipping in his sufferings. And in the song, the lyric says this, I'm saying yes to you and no to my desires. I'll leave myself behind and follow you. I'll walk the narrow road because it leads me to you. I'll fall, but grace will pick me up again. I've counted up the cost. I've counted up the cost. I've counted up the cost, and you are worth it. I do not need safety as much as I need you. You're dangerous, but Lord, you're beautiful. I'll chase you through the pain. I'll carry my cross, because real love is not afraid to bleed. Jesus, take my all. Take my everything. I've counted up the cost and you're worth everything. I've counted up the cost. I've counted up the cost. Yes, I've counted up the cost and you are worth it. In so many words, we also are told where following Christ is going to lead us. And we will probably see this more and more in the coming years in our nation. Because no, no representation of the body of Christ has ever seen the lack of persecution that Christians have seen in America over the last 250 years. It is an anomaly, a phenomenon in the history of Christ's body. And it's likely coming to a close. But we're told in Luke 9, 23 through 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 
In a day and age where churches feel that they need to offer a comfy seat and a light show and a mocha in order to get people to return the next Sunday, this is not a popular idea. But others, others outside of this shouldn't be our focus. Instead, we should ask ourselves if there is somewhere where we resist dying to the desires of our flesh and thereby refusing to be used in the life of someone else in order that they may know Christ or know him better. Our following Christ shouldn't lead It should lead to a dying to ourselves daily, but at the same time, the direction that God gives to each of us is going to fit our personalities and our bent. It's going to fit what he births in our heart that is sown love and gives fruit to ministry alongside of his Holy Spirit in our life. And we see this fact in Jesus' final instructions to Peter here. And, and I love kind of this final statement from one friend to another who has gone on to be with the Lord, John to Peter, in his account here, where it says, And Peter saw him, being John, the author of this gospel, and he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Is it me or isn't Peter once again asking the questions that we would ask? Right? Well, I'm going to die. What about everybody else? Does he die too? What about him? And John has to make a correction here of what maybe loudmouth Peter spread as a rumor. It says, so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. If he'd only listened more closely, maybe. No. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? John was only was the only apostle not martyred for his witness to what Christ was and proclaimed and would be for the world. And I picture Christians who knew him, having heard this account of, of Jesus' words to Peter, kind of watching him. He's getting pretty old. Jesus must be coming back soon. And here in somewhere around AD 85, AD 90, John is writing this, you know, in his old age. When I pass away, this, this rumor that that means Jesus is going to come back, that's not the case. Taking the opportunity to set the record straight. But what we want to draw out of this here is following Christ in a personal direction. Jesus says to Peter, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And just what Jesus says to Peter in verse 22 here is, mind your own business. 
The term you here, where he says you, follow me, shows that Jesus is making an emphatic statement, emphasizing the you, follow me. And John, to a long life, a strategic, well, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead here. Uh, The term, uh, well, I threw something in there in the wrong place, sorry. (laughs) I shared last week about how, you know, I was trained for the mission field. And I had to admit myself to myself amidst that, I'm not called to it. And in utter utter joy, I followed Christ into working with teenagers for 13 years. And then the Lord brought me here to harvest. And at the same time, the lows are called out of the comfort of their hometown and their their, uh, training and and careers in the medical field to take that to Ethiopia as an opportunity for the gospel there. And in utter joy, with random spells of tears, of course, they follow Christ. The bottom line is, it doesn't feel like sacrifice at all when we're doing so following Christ out of love for him. That doesn't mean it's not hard. But it doesn't feel like I'm making a mistake here when we balance it, when we look at it in balance. D.A. Carson states about Peter and John, he says, Peter is called to pastoral ministry and martyrdom, John to a long life and strategic written witness. Both callings are vital and equally important. The Lord directs our following him according to how he has designed us. Upon growing to love him more and more, upon gaining his loving heart for his flock and purpose of our mutual growth and shepherding, upon counting the cost of following him and finding him to be a treasure worth selling all that we have, if need be, in joy in order to have what he has for us. And we find joy in hearing people say, you want to do what? You want to live in Ethiopia? You want to drag your family chasing the Lord's calling across the country? You want to work with teenagers? (laughs) I heard that as a youth pastor, better you than me. But for me, that was like, I'm right where God wants me because I couldn't be anywhere else. You want to homeschool your kids? You want to put your kids in school? Both can be God's calling. You want to reach out to that person? These questions only to serve to confirm that's exactly what Jesus wants me to do. In following him, even if it ruins me for other things that others might enjoy. Because I can't imagine doing anything else and loving it, I'm joyfully ruined. And it's likely that John is answering Peter's question of what about him with the last statements that we read of these, the, the entire gospel of John in verses 24 through 25, and we read these in conclusion here. 
He says, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And this is a statement of literary hyperbole here of what John writes. And basically John is saying, I've written all I'm supposed to write, but I haven't even scratched the surface. I haven't even scratched the surface of who this man, Jesus, is. I hope you find this to be true in your own life as well. I hope that your focus moves you off of what someone else gets to do. I hope that it moves solely onto the plan that God has for you as opposed to someone else. I hope that you can search out for how God desires and has wired for you to follow Christ in loving God and loving others and being a part of shepherding and growing his flock. In the process of following him, I hope you, that you accumulate so many accounts of what Jesus does in your life that even if they were written there wouldn't be enough books to write it because they can happen in every moment. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we close out the Gospel of John and Lord, they're just words written on the page. But they're words that you wanted us to read and to digest and to see where you want to live out in our lives. Father, I thank you for different callings. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to love others out of a foundation of loving you. Lord, I pray that we would follow you, that we would know that no matter what we're doing in your body or in our neighborhood or in our family, that we're, we know our shepherd and we know that we are following you. So that when you, the chief shepherd, appears, we can know that it's just a continuation of the life that we've already had with you. Lord, I pray all these things according to the character and the will of your son. Amen.